0: Welcome to the Magnify podcast. Magnify is a platform at the intersection of faith, feminism and fashion. During these episodes, we have conversations with dynamic individuals that we hope will leave you intrigued, inspired and informed. I'm your host and Magnify's founder, Ruth Yumika Afolabi. I once heard a great quote which said, People know you by your strengths, but connect with you through your vulnerabilities. In many ways, the world is changing where we value authenticity and vulnerability above many other things. Vulnerability opens so many doors, particularly in friendships, and it's something that in safe spaces, we should never shy away from. Sharon Toye Kayede is an incredible lady I've known for a few years. She's a real gatherer of women and someone who makes everyone around her always feel so welcome and inspired. By day, she's an associate in Global Markets at Goldman Sachs, and outside of work, she runs ACA Womanhood and lives in London with her husband. In this conversation, we spoke about vulnerability, feminism, and the power of female friendships. Let's listen in. So we always start off with the um, kind of snapshot quickfire questions to get to know you. Um, So my first question, which I love asking, is if you could have a dinner party with four guests, um, dead or alive from any area, who would you invite and why?
1: This question, I always find it interesting because in different seasons of life, I always have different answers. Mm. So given that we're in lockdown season and a lot of us have been watching a lot of Netflix, some of my answers are kind of like skewed towards like things that I've been watching recently. So one person I'll choose is Madam CJ Walker. Oh, Brilliant. Have you seen <laughs> that on Netflix? Yeah. Isn't it so good? And I can't like, so I did a lot of research about her and like how she made her money. And just, it's just so incredible that a like, black woman could achieve that back in that time. So I definitely want to pick her brain. Hillary Clinton. So there's a oh, documentary so out now good. called Hillary. So It good. is so good. It's like five hours. I've, I forced my husband to watch it because I think, you know, it really sparks a good conversation about feminism and gender roles. But anyway, I love her. I think everything that she's done is just incredible. And I think when she dies, that's when she'll probably be appreciated in the way that she should be. And then I have to pick my great-grandpa, Bafemi Awolowo, just because like everyone I've met talks about how influential and impactful he was in their life. And like I feel like a lot of my political views and everything are shaped by his books. And I just, I'm so proud of the impact he had in Nigeria. And so I just really want to talk to him about how he went about stuff. And he was also super, super feminist. Oh, wow. And um, even in that time, you know, like my, gr- my great grandma paid for his university fees from her business because she was a very successful businesswoman. He was a farmer. Like, so it's just like, how did you cope with that dynamic? Like back in, a d- in the day like that. And then lastly, I'll pick Evita just because I think she's just a classic woman. Incredible. The way that she was able to just impact her nation and how people just loved her. I would just love to, like, feel that energy.
0: Oh, amazing. A very sensitive... Yeah. Um, what's the best <laughs> book that you've read?
1: I love reading. So this is really, really, really tough. Um, I would have to pick recently An American Marriage. Mm. It really had a huge impact on me. So it was on Obama's list of, like best things, I don't know what it was. He had this list basically on music, books, film, etc., and it was on the list. But then also my sister runs a book club in Lagos and they were reading it. So I was like, okay, I'll just join in and read it with them. And honestly, it, it, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just so impactful. A beautiful story about love, marriage, loss, the criminal justice system, um, racial injustices, just everything wrapped up in this really gorgeous love story. So I, I'm really loving that at the moment all-time favorite I just cannot pick I always go back to this book I wrote when I was like maybe nine called the Icarus girl about this idea of like imaginary friends because I was a very 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 like imaginative like child
0: and finally what's a weird surprising or unusual fact about you you know
1: people think people won't believe me but I love to cross stitch that's what I do when I'm commuting on the tube
0: Oh, wow. I would
1: not <laughs> have expected <to> that. <laughs> exactly. I love cross-stitching. I like it because I think it's because it's very orderly. Like I it's just instructions it. and you follow the instructions. You can either do it on like soft, like um, material or like on the plastic, which I like because you can actually count the boxes. So it's, I like it because it's structured and at the end, you know what you're going to get wow,
0: and it's I not knitting and
1: it's, it can fit into your bag. I got into it in secondary school. There was actually a cross-stitching and knitting club, which I joined. And um, I've been doing it ever since. Like when I'm on holiday, I buy books and then I buy different cross-stitch packs that I can do. Oh, wow. So, yeah, all my friends find it absolutely (laughs) hilarious and bizarre. I've definitely
0: not heard that one before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm always interested as to how people's childhoods kind of shaped them and certain experiences that stick with them, stuck with them. So um, I'd love to hear more about your childhood and where, how, what were the values that shaped you?
1: Yeah. And where should I begin? I guess I grew up in Nigeria, in Lagos, which... I absolutely loved like my parents had been married for two years when they had me. And like, I was like a surprise child. Cause my mom had actually just had surgery. Cause she thought she couldn't, she thought she was infertile. So she had like exploratory surgery. And like four weeks later, she found out that she was already three months pregnant and the doctor didn't even see it. So I always like to tell that story because I really feel like that, that has really shaped how I see myself as someone who was born for such a time as this, a wanted child, needed like full of purpose from the beginning which is why like man couldn't have any impact in sort of me coming to being um but yeah so grew up in Lagos first of three children everyone who has met me sees that like I definitely have that firstborn um mentality um I don't know I guess my I would describe my childhood as just very blissful um Yeah, I grew up with my siblings. My mom stayed at home. She quit her job when my sister was born. My sister's two years younger than me to look after us. My dad worked the whole time. He actually moved to Abuja. So actually, I grew up with my parents not actually living together. Oh, wow. Which is really interesting. If it did. Um, Because my dad was working in Abuja and my mom, because of our school, she chose not to move. She wanted us to go to this particular school. And so we stayed in Lagos. And that has literally been our life ever since, probably when I was like seven or eight. My mom also knew everything. Like if we had an exam, my mom would memorize like what we needed to study so she could ask us questions. She was like PTA chairman. she was head of Brownies. She was extremely involved. She picked us up every single day from school. Like just a very, very, very present character. Um, and I think actually that's really impacted all of us in different ways. We're, we're very, very, very independent. And I think that's because of the way that that you know my parents raised us. I think my parents raised me with a lot of expectation because mm-hmm. I was the oldest. And so I always had this, I mean, what I call it a burden, I guess this burden, I guess, of like wanting to be the best that I could be because of my siblings. And so that's kind of followed me till now, which is a good and a bad thing because I've also like had to learn that so I was going to you know, ask, did you see it as a burden or pressure or just more like
0: an expectation that you got used to?
1: I think when I was growing up, I just saw it as an expectation. But as I grew older and I started to learn more about myself, I realised that actually it was a burden. Wow. Um, because I felt like, you know, I was kind of like a mini parent to my siblings. And so the dynamic wasn't, wasn't what I wanted it to be. Mm. Um, and so as we've grown older, that has definitely shifted, you know, But um, yeah, I think it also has made me always demonstrate leadership skills in every like sphere of my life, just because of how I was used to being at home, you know, always organizing things, always like organizing get togethers for friends. Like I was that kid who would like invite people to a sleepover. And actually my best friend was saying this at my wedding. She was like, I would like write a letter to every single person's parents and like, put sweets in the envelope and say, can you take yes or no if Simi can come to my sleepover? I'll put my parents' number as like an emergency contact, and there will be a detailed itinerary of what we are going to do for the entire weekend. Oh, wow. So everybody always attended my sleepovers.
0: <laughs> so I want to move on to um, female friendships because that is definitely, ever since I've known you, one of the biggest things that has stood out and why I wanted to interview you today. You're so passionate about women and female yeah. in a very authentic way because I think often I know I've got very tired of the kind of rhetoric that's like mm. you know female empowerment but then we're not actually supporting each other whereas you can be such a champion of your friends or any women that you know so I'd love to hear about your first female friendship and why female friendships are so important to you have played such a big part in your life
1: Yeah, recently, I've actually been thinking about this a lot and not really thinking about it from like my conscious, like present situation, but just more like what could have happened to have made this like my life. Mm -hmm. So my mom actually grew up with five sisters, no, four sisters and one brother. Um, And so like there was always a lot of female energy. And when I look at my mom and her siblings, they're all extremely close Like they are the perfect example of like supporting each other. They're all extremely different. They live all around the world, but they're so close. And there's that like bond between them. So I think seeing that definitely influenced me in many ways. But also like my grandma on my dad's side, she is the best host on the planet. Like ever since I can remember, I always wanted to be like her because she was always so fabulously dressed she has this crew of girlfriends that she's had now for over 50 years because she's in her seventies. They've been through so much together, divorces, marriages, deaths, like children, like losing kids, every kind of situation you can think of in life they've experienced. And she's still friends with all of them. They were all at my wedding with her. So I think those examples, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously were always there. Mm. Um, And I think I always just had a natural affinity and trust for women. And I think also the fact that like we were mostly raised by my mom has a lot to do with that as well. And my mom also has loads of friends and always has. So I think all of those things kind of made me very comfortable and very open to having female female friendships. And then my relationship with my sister, like we have always been so, so, so close, like crazily. So where we can kind of, we know how the other is feeling before the other has said anything. And I remember like, people used to think we were so weird because when we were in primary school, like, you know, when you're let out of class and you're going on your break or whatever, we would literally run to like find each other. Like if we ever like walk past each other in school, we would like hug each other. as so if we hadn't just seen each other in the morning. So I think a lot of that is like generational, like trust in women that has been passed down from my grandparents to my, to my mom and also to, uh, to me. But also I think I won't, lie, I won't lie and say that it just happened all naturally in terms of, because you can have those relationships with your family and like your cousins and like your siblings, but it's very difficult to create that kind of trust with people that you you don't know. And as I was thinking about this, I was actually feeling very grateful that like I had that example from my mom, but also that she allowed like an environment for people to feel comfortable in, wow. you know, by creating like a great home that my friends always wanted to come to. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of like the general rhetoric, I think the time when I realized that I actually have to be intentional about this was when, so I've had pretty much the same friends since I was in secondary school. My friends haven't really changed since I was like 12, but then we all kind of left Lagos, came here went to boarding school and then went to uni. And then when you start working is when people start moving back, moving away, moving to the States and things like that. And there was a point where like, literally I had no, none of my childhood friends in London. And so I was like, okay, I think I need to actually like make some new friends. Um, and I remember um, I was at an event and I saw Fisaya and I said to her, I was like, okay, actually we're going to be friends. I've decided <laughs> that we're going to be friends. I don't really remember things, but this is what she says. So she said that I basically came up to her and said, we're going to be friends. And, and we were, because I knew we lived close to one another. I knew we had like similar friends, but I wasn't shy to just say that. And I think sometimes like, it's difficult to put yourself out there. But actually, on the other side of that is like a beautiful friendship that may not have happened because both of us might have been too, too shy to say anything or thinking, oh, I don't know if she's going to respond. It doesn't really matter how someone responds. At least you've, you've put yourself out there and you kind of see how it goes. And so in that being said, I made a lot of friends that way through church, work, etc. And I think vulnerability has definitely played a key part in it because there's always a risk of people not being, you know, people not receiving it properly or like, you know, people just thinking that you're a bit odd, but actually I've never had someone respond negatively to an honest and truthful, like invitation to friendship. Amazing. Um... Have you,
0: so you've spoken a little bit about vulnerability as a key trait, but have you ever had to navigate jealousy or a lack of trust in female friendship and how did you deal with it? And if not, what advice would you give for women who maybe that's been their experience of female friendships?
1: So, in terms of jealousy, I was thinking about this today and it's very similar to something that we actually learned on the marriage course at HTB that like you can't actually change someone else's behavior, all you can do is change yours. And I think the ability to feel jealousy is a choice. And it also may help you expose areas in your own life where you may be a little bit insecure. And to be honest, I actually discuss it with my friends. Mm. If, and we call it like a trigger, I'm like, wow, you're triggering me because of X, Y, Z. And you can have that conversation, you know, and this is where vulnerability plays such a key role. If you trust someone and you know that like, at the end of the day, they have your best interests at heart, Um, And the only way you can know that and feel free to relate to them on that level is if you also truly have their best interest at heart. You know, it's a bit of a give and take. People have asked me, Oh, how do you form um, friendships and relationships? You just have to kind of be the type of friend that someone else you wish you had. Mm. That's kind of how I approach it. I'm like, I'm going to give it my all and it feels good it's better to give than to receive right it feels good i like to be the friend that's there for everyone that people can speak to etc and i think by being that kind of person people in return like w- will show up for you but what have been um i guess some of the most difficult
0: moments or challenging times in your life and how have you seen your female friends rally around you
1: yeah well definitely the most difficult ever was like around our wedding so I got married May 2019 and my mother-in-law was diagnosed with um, cancer in 2016. So it was only one year into my relationship with my husband now. And so we were very like young in our, you know, love and our relationship. But anyway, we navigated the season together. We were both her carers. We would visit her in the hospital every day make sure she had her meds, etc, etc, etc. But anyway, she passed away in December, just a couple of days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And our trad was meant to be four weeks to that date. And so obviously everything was kind of up in the air. We had to reschedule. But for me, what was actually so beautiful was the morning that she passed away. And um, I literally, my husband called me and he was like, oh, she's passed away. And I was like, okay, I didn't even cry. I just knelt down. I worshiped. I thank God for her life. And I started cleaning the flat. I don't even know what made me do that. But then I text my friend, my best friend. And I was like, she's gone. She's a doctor. She was just coming off a night shift. She literally left, came straight to mine, and drove with me to the hospital to see my husband. So, even the fact that that kind of intimate moment, she was there. Mm-hmm. By the time she had arrived there, like 30 minutes later, everybody else had arrived. And actually, those were the people that carried us through those next couple of weeks. I didn't cook a single meal. My house was clean, we were fed me, my husband and my sister-in-law until my mom came like a couple of days later. And like throughout that whole season, they made like the wedding experience absolutely incredible. They planned an amazing hindu for me in Budapest, like just little things. Mm -hmm. And every time I would thank them, they would be like, no, like you don't even need to say that. You don't know how much like this relationship has meant to me. And I think for me, it was just affirmation that actually... I, I've been doing I've been doing the right thing, you know not having an agenda in your friendships, literally just wanting to love people is so important and it's not it doesn't come naturally because we we're, we're we're all wired to think oh I, I want to like you know I want to see what I can get out of these relationships but if you think about it like what you can give, you'll actually get more than you ever bargained for. I'm not saying I'm the perfect friend I've definitely had like arguments with my friends, et cetera. But what I would say is I don't really hold grudges if I'm obsessed about something, I will address it. And I prefer people to be honest with me. And so I lead with vulnerability.
0: Wow. Wow, that is, I've, you know, every time you tell me the story, I'm still so moved, not just by how you went through that situation, but just how your friends w- really rallied around you. And as you said, it's so much better to give than it is to receive. And it's in the challenges yeah. the times that you really see, um, yeah, who your friends are.
1: Um, yeah, I'll tell you something really personal, like a really personal story with my best friend and I that like, I don't think I've actually shared on any platform before. So you know the story of Aaron and Moses. So there's a story in the Bible about Aaron and Moses where Moses, God gives Moses this mandate to go and rescue the Israelites from, from Pharaoh. And he says he can't do it. And so God says, you know, Aaron should help him. And Aaron basically holds up his hands And my friend, one of my best friends sent me like a little letter. This was even way before anything ever happened with my husband's mom. At this point, she had only just been diagnosed. So we didn't really know how it was going to go. And she was like, in this season, I will be your Aaron. And she was absolutely that. So now she's getting married. And so like when we had her like, oh, congratulations, like you're getting married ceremony. I said to her, like, do you remember when you said this to me? And I read out the Bible verse and I was like, well, this is my turn to your errand, And so I'm saying that because like, sometimes like there's always going to be seasons where you need to take more and seasons where you need to give more. And I think if people understand like friendships as like a long-term situation or a relationship, you'll be okay. Cause I think a lot of the hurt that women feel is that I give so much and my friends never show up for me. And a lot of people have told me that, but I'm like, maybe just give it some time. Maybe they're not in a position to, you know, show up for you because they're going through a tough time themselves, give grace in the same way that God gives you grace, give them grace. And, you know, maybe the tables will turn and there'll be an opportunity for them to show up for you as well. So it really is about give and take and having a long-term perspective.
0: Why has vulnerability always been so important to you?
1: I think every, every blessing by way of a relationship that I've, I have in my life has been as a result of a conversation that was surrounded by vulnerability. And so the moment that I had that understanding, because it had been happening for a couple of years and I don't think I ever really like fully understood it. Once I understood that that was what it was, I knew I had to share it, which is why I created ACW and have that environment. Um, It is so important, even in my relationship, even in my marriage, like it's so important. I think... I don't even know when I got to know about Brene Brown and her vulnerability work and everything. But the main thing that she talks about is like shame, courage, and fear, and all these things. And how like by being vulnerable, you just kind of lift the veil. I also love the quote, like there's nothing new under the sun. I think for a lot of us, the reasons why we're not necessarily like keen on being vulnerable is because we feel like people won't understand. Mm -hmm. But actually people understand more than you know. And it's always just about taking that first step you know, I've always been extremely vulnerable with my girlfriends. Like we have deep conversations and we always kind of have. And so like when I started to see that that wasn't really the way that it always was for others, I realized that like it was probably part of my responsibility to create an atmosphere and an environment that you could be vulnerable, whether you knew people very well or not. Creating a vibe of trust and safety, very, very, very important to vulnerability, which goes back to what I said about my mom. All those years growing up, that's what she did. And that's why, like, we always had friends coming over. A lot of my friends are very close to my mom. They tell her things that they probably might not even have told me, you know, and she has her relationship with all of them. But I think it's just that thing of, like, being mindful of being the kind of person that carries, you know, an atmosphere of safety and security for people. Amazing. Um,
0: so you touched a little yeah. bit upon it, and I think thinking of, um, one of my role models, I'm sure she is for you as well, Michelle Obama. And just, oh, I love her. Um, I guess even when you hear her give talks or interviews, she just shows so show much strength in yeah. saying that she actually doesn't have it all together, even though everyone assumes and praises that she does. Why yeah. do you women? we sometimes feel that we have to have it all together or I guess I've seen in our generation how maybe we felt like our mothers didn't necessarily have all the opportunities that they had to maybe choose between their career or family so we've swung and
1: yeah.
0: where we're like I'm going to do absolutely everything why do yeah. you think that we sometimes feel we have to have it all together um, and how have you kind of yeah navigated that or struggled with that in any way
1: I've struggled with that so much. I've struggled with that so much. And that's actually one of the reasons why, um, I've been in therapy. I think when we're growing up, you know, you see like so much in the world, you're given so many opportunities and you have such high expectations of yourself. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you want to have a family, you want to have a marriage and in your mind, all of those things cannot come cannot come together because you can't have it all. That's the rhetoric. You, can, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. And even to have it all, you know, it's so difficult. So I think it's more kind of figuring out what are your values? And this is what my therapist always tells me. She's like, what are, what are your values? What are like the five most important areas of your life? And who do you want to be in those areas? Prioritize that rather than the goal. Prioritize the values. So like for me, it's one of my high values is equality, whether it be in my marriage, be in my friendship, my relationships, I find equality is very, very important to me. So whenever there's injustice, I know that I'll be triggered. You know, so it just, we can't do everything. And I think for me personally, that's why this year, at the beginning of the year, I did this long post on Instagram on how like I was taking my foot off the gas Mm -hmm. and just having a year of being because I've had two very, very tough and difficult years. And I don't think it's a coincidence that now the whole world is in this season (laughs) of like rest and like, just like introspection and just chilling for a little bit. It's okay to do that. And I think also, we've also been harmed by women that have gone before us that seem to have done so well, not necessarily being vulnerable enough about what it actually took and some of the sacrifices and the realities beyond what we see. And so I think now in our generation, I actually feel like we're all like a bit more vulnerable Mm-hmm. A bit more real. And I think hopefully that will create a safer space for people to to understand that they can be themselves. I think the way that I give myself a bit of a break is to realize that I have so many years by God's grace ahead of me than I have behind me. Mm-hmm. I can't achieve everything in one year. People, all of my mentors that I admire and stuff, everything that they've built has taken 10, 15, 20 years. So just understanding that in this social media age where you have Kylie Jenner, who's a billionaire and she's my younger brother's age, (laughs) you know, it, it can start to feel a bit stressful, but I think the perspective should always be, it's about you and your legacy. Mm. You know, maybe, maybe mine is taking 20 years to build because it's even going to be more impactful. It might not be impactful financially, but in the generations it will be. And so just having like a long-term perspective and and I'm preaching to myself because honestly, I don't always have that. Some days I'm like beating myself up, which just, which doesn't actually motivate me to do anything, (laughs) to be honest. So I don't even know why I bother doing that, but like just having a long-term perspective and understanding that what you see is not always the whole story. And again, my mom was always very open with us. Like she would tell us so many stories about people and she would always say all that glitters is not gold. And I think, you know, there's a lot of glittering on social media, but if you look a bit deeper, it might not be what you want to emulate. So just giving yourself more grace, I think.
0: So you touched upon therapy, um, and I'm such an advocate for it. I just think it's amazing. And from personal experience, it really changed my life. Um, And I think particularly as a type A personality, it's something that I found really beneficial. And similar to you, I went to very academic school, and it wasn't necessarily the academia, um, or like the drive for results that put pressure on us, but actually just the environment where you were told that you could be anything you want to be. Um, So what has been your experience of counselling? I guess I'd love to know.
1: I think the the most probably one of the most significant years of my life was summer 2012. So I just interned at Goldman. They'd offered me a full time position. I said no because I wanted. I I knew that like there was a bit more that if I'd started working at this age, I would just like continue and I would never have this time to like really be myself. In the same breath, I'd also like gotten this opportunity to go live in Paris for a year, studying at Sciences Po, and just being. So I declined the Goldman offer and I moved to Paris literally the day after the internship. And I was pretty much, that was my year of like self-discovery. And the reason why I'm saying all of this is because sometimes isolation is one of the best gifts you can give yourself. Mm-hmm. There's so much noise. School tells you who you need to be. You know, your position. I always came third in school. No matter why, I was always third. Definitely a good position, but that, that was just kind of who I was. That's how I defined myself by my grades, by what school I went to, et cetera. And then you get to uni and none of that even really seems to matter. And then you're like, okay, so who, who am I now? Then I don't have any, like, I don't really have any way to define myself. So definitely taking that year off in Paris was amazing. I spent a lot of time alone. I spent a lot of time reading. I spent a lot of time praying and I spent a lot of time just walking and observing. Like it was Paris is obviously a, an incredible city there's so much to see but even just having just allowing myself stop and just see it was so 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 impactful and I think that was actually the beginning of my journey with like therapy and like self-reflection the things that we fill our lives with are not necessarily bad things working hard achievements etc it's all good but there is a you on the inside that is actually yearning to be known and just being able to stop and take it in is so important to any kind of clarity. And so that was the beginning of my journey with therapy. Um, And it honestly has just changed my life. And I think that's also what has allowed me to be more vulnerable because I've seen myself, like I know myself. I know when something is just not for me. I know when it is. I know why I react to things in a certain way. I know what triggers me. I know what doesn't. Like All of that work is not going to happen overnight. It takes sacrifice. And sometimes it takes isolation. And so I think that's what's really been quite key to to my journey.
0: And so how have you identified the type of women that you want to surround yourself with? Because anyone who knows you knows that you have some phenomenal friends and also mentors around you.
1: I think one of the quotes that I love that has that once I heard it, I knew that it was going in my quotes and values bank is you can't have something you can't celebrate. Wow. And this goes a lot to like social media, you know, you're scrolling and you're like, oh my God, she's so amazing. And then you're like, and then deep, there's something inside of you that is kind of making you dislike this person or at least that's what you feel. But if you think about it from the perspective of if there's anything that they're embodying, if you cannot celebrate them, you can never have it. Oh. And so for me, the antithesis to jealousy and like competitiveness, et cetera, is generosity. It, it is generosity for sure. Like and so that's how I kind of decide who to surround myself with. I love people with good energy. I've had like the same friends for a long time, and I love them. But the friends that I've made in my adult life are definitely people that I have shared values with. Definitely, mostly feminists. People that are kind of trying to do something incredible in their own different fields. And I also love when we come together and we rub shoulders and we ask each other questions. I like people that challenge me and that like make me want to want to grow. You know. One of my friends, because we had ACW in Lagos and this question came up on like, how do you deal with jealousy? And one of my friends was saying, and I really just respected the humility within which she said this, that like, if you think about the story of Joseph in the Bible, when, you know, his brother sold him into slavery and then eventually he becomes like very, very influential in Egypt and they come back, they have to come back to him as slaves. And she was saying, what if they had been cheering him on from the beginning? They would all have been sharing in the success and that she wants to be the kind of friend who like has been there for you from the beginning. So that when you, you know, are super successful, it's something that can be shared. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Wow. You know, there's something to be said about identifying talents and being around it. But I was supposed to show me your friends. I'll tell you who you are. Like those things are not said for nothing. And so I always just keep that in mind. That like, if my friend is doing something amazing, if I can't celebrate her, I can't achieve that level of, of success. Amazing. You know, so that's what, that's kind of like my guide.
0: Um, So you've spoken a lot about ACAW and um, some of our listeners might not know, and I'd love you
1: to share. So ACAW, short for a conversation about womanhood, started about two years ago now. Um, I just kind of had a dream and I'm always so aware when people say they have a dream, like this spooky, like Christian dreamy thing. No, it's just, I think even if you're not Christian, you still have dreams, right? So I had a dream. And in the dream, it was like a really beautiful room. It was all pink and a lot of women were just crying. And when I woke up, I just knew, I knew the name immediately. I just knew, I was like, I'm going to start this thing. I had the dream in January. The first the first event was in February because I, I'm not one. I knew that if I just kind of waited, I probably wouldn't have done it. I was like, this is a crazy idea. But I actually believe that I can create an atmosphere where people be vulnerable and talk about things that really, really matter. I also created it because I kind of got tired of like, the fake, like shallow content that I was seeing, and just it was just so much on Instagram of like everyone so perfectly made up, like talking about what they've done. And I, I care more about deep conversations and like actually how people are feeling. And I also wanted a space that wasn't just for getting advice, but also it was just enough to share your story and let that do the work for people. Wow. And so the first event was, I think, February 2018. It was like in the small Italian um, on my road back then. There were like 25 people. It was full of balloons and et cetera. And it was just so beautiful. We talked about love, identity, and ambition. I still remember it very clearly. And once I like stepped into the room and I experienced it, I knew that it was 100% my calling. Wow. And I made a commitment that like, whether I can I can afford it or not, because by the way, almost every event, probably about 40% of the tickets are free because I just invite people. Um, and, I, and I've said to God, like, you need to continue to allow me be able to do this because it's so important. Um, but yeah, it's just an environment for people to just be vulnerable. We always pick words that are inspired by this, the current season. Um, and then I invite speakers, people in my world, people that I know of, People actually, these days, a lot of my colleagues I've been inviting, you know, just, and this is the thing, like everybody has something to share. And I'm always so mindful of like, not always inviting people that that will draw a crowd, but more like people that may not ever like even speak up in that kind of setting. Because I think that's where the real truth is. And I think, and I hope it also shows everyone who comes that their story is valid and important as well.
0: So you said something which I loved. Um, and again, along the lines of Queen Michelle Obama. And um, it was that when she was doing her book tour, she said that she hoped what would come out from it was that everyone would realise how powerful their story is. Um, and I remember at your event, what was so amazing was you had one of your colleagues, um, her name escapes me, but she um, had X and she said how it developed from kind of professional and personal stress. And she was very kind of open in sharing that. Um, and I love that at your events, it's not just people with big platforms, that you bring to share, but those who are kind of everyday ordinary people. And as you said, it's not just those with big platforms whose stories are powerful. Everyone has an experience that they've been through that can be a blessing to others, maybe even in a way that they don't realize. Um, and by sharing your story, you never know who you could impact. And that's why I love vulnerability so much. And so I want to talk about feminism um, because obviously feminism is one of our three Fs. And I think I've had quite an interesting journey with it in terms of going to a school where it was only girls, but we kind of didn't even talk about feminism or being women. We just talked about being human beings. Um, And so it was kind of a surprise to me when I got to the real world and realised that some people maybe thought because I was a woman, I couldn't necessarily do certain things. Um, But I also know that feminism can often have very difficult um connotations and it's not something that everyone necessarily agrees with the modern day expression so for you what would you say feminism is and would you say that you are a feminist
1: i would say i'm a feminist because i think not very people really understand the true meaning of feminism by the dictionary so feminism isn't about women being better than men or women hating men feminism is about equality and so when the term was coined you know, if they named it equal, equality, it just wasn't. It just wasn't going to work. It had to be. It had to be named based on the sex that was mostly being discriminated against. I studied feminism in depth at uni. I just studied politics, and so I understand the different threads of feminism. And I think you know the the term is. Um, off-putting to some because it seems to be slanting towards one gender but I'm excited for the day when like we wouldn't even care what the term is because my kids would be like "Mom, why does feminism even exist we're all already equal the reason why it's a problem now is because we are not all equal and so therefore there needs to be you know, something to fight for. And so I would definitely describe myself as a feminist. I love men. I think men and women should be equal. I think, you know, especially men that understand, most men, well, maybe let me not say most men because people might find it problematic. But until you ask them, oh, are you a feminist? And they're like, no, even my own husband. And so one day I was just like, okay, babe, do you want them, if, if I was interviewing for a job and I had the same skills as a guy, you know, do you think we should be paid the same? Do you want me to be a CEO one day? With no discrimination, these these are. If if your answer to those questions are yes, then you're definitely a feminist. Don't be don't be intimidated by the term, and so this is what I always say to people that I, that I speak to who say, especially guys who are like, oh, I don't really believe in all this feminism. The feminism that you don't believe in is radical feminism. Liberal feminism you definitely get because. You wouldn't argue otherwise if people put these questions before you. And so I think more than the term, it's more about how do you actually live your life? And it goes both ways as well. If you're a woman and you, you know, you discriminate positively towards women all the time, there is a problem with that as well. I think the time for that, there was a time where that needed to be the case so that we could have more equality. But I think now, you know, we can have a different lens, especially in different different areas of work, et cetera. And so like, I think it's it's, the term is problematic, but the fundamental, the fundamental part of it is just about the idea of equality, you know? And I think until we get to that point, unfortunately, it's going to have to stay.
0: Finally, I'd love to hear more about your faith. Um, And I think particularly given the cultural context of growing up in Nigeria, where nominal Christianity is rife. um, I've often spoken to a lot of friends who, for them, either they have very negative connotations with Christianity and its expression um, because of what they've seen. But I guess for you, within the context of the country you grew up in and then moving to England, what has your faith journey been like?
1: So I wouldn't actually, I, I became a Christian when I moved here. Um, when I was 17, I think before then I was performing Christianity. Um, especially cause I grew up in an Anglican church in Nigeria. My parents weren't like every Sunday church goers or anything. We would go once in a while. But when we went it was very much an Anglican service where we were just kind of like reading from the book with no context and no understanding. And so by the time I got to boarding school, I was studying philosophy. And so at that point I actually decided that, yeah, I don't really believe this. I'm an atheist, like, The arguments for the existence of God are just to make people feel good. That was very much, and I actually wrote like my final essay on that and scored very highly on it because I just thought it's a logical thing to believe in a God because the world is so awful that we need something to hold on to. So I get it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Mm -hmm. And I, so I had, and then I had a very like radical, I don't even know what I would call it. So I'd just come back from an Ibiza holiday for seven days. Can imagine what that would have been like. This was my, and the summer before I went into my second year of uni. Um, And so I came up from that holiday and then a friend of mine invited me for a coffee. She was actually my roommate when I was in boarding school. And so I met up with her and she just was like radiating this light and joy. And I'd known her to be very insecure. And actually I wasn't really looking forward to the coffee because like, I just knew her to be like quite difficult. Um, But it was amazing. And then at the end she was like, oh, like, have you noticed anything different about me? I was like, to be honest, like, I didn't want to say anything, but wow, you're so different. You've changed. Da, da, da. And she was like, Oh yes. Yeah, Cause I was also going to this church. And I just rolled my eyes like, Oh my God, not you. <laughs> um, and she was like, you know, do you want to come? And I could just feel my heart like beating. Um, and I was like, Oh, I'll let you know. Like, I don't know. Because all I was thinking about was why would I go to a church when I've just come back from Ibiza? I know everything that happened there. Like it just didn't really seem to make sense. But, After she posed that invitation and that question, which is why I always think it's so important to just ask the question, you know, and not feel a responsibility because God is a big guy. He can, you know, stand up for himself. That question lingered in my mind. And so I I messaged her on like Saturday evening to be like, okay, I'll come to, I'll come. Can you send me the address? And so just to give you perspective on like how I perceived church, I like put on a white dress, some heels, (laughs) I found like some Bible that was, because I was staying in my grandparents' flat. I found some Bible and I brought it with me. And as soon as I worked, walked into the church, it was HTB, the 430 service in Onslow Square. Um, she was actually one of the worship leaders at the time. And so they were like, just worshiping it was summer. everyone was sitting on the floor. I, was, I felt so out of really? place, not because I was completely overdressed. <laughs> um, but I sat on the floor and in the worship, I just, I just felt like I'd come home and so that day I gave my life to Christ. I bought a Bible and it had, it just so happened that I had like three days where I was going back to uni to try and pass my driving test alone. And so I was able to read the Bible. I read another book called crazy love. Um, and I just, it just kind of made sense to me. It gave me so much comfort and just so much peace. And I knew that it was the truth. And so since then my life just completely changed. And the thing with me is if I find something everyone has to know about it. So off the back of that, my sister got saved. Most of my friends got saved. Some of my colleagues got, like, it just was this, like, ripple effect just because I was posing the invitation to people. And I think because people knew that, like, I wasn't always a Christian, the change was quite, like, drastic. So they knew that, okay, there must be, this girl is, like, not making this up. This is actually her true personal experience. And so, like, my faith is literally the bedrock of my life. It has been, you know, my... my, literally my lifeline in tough times and my greatest joy in good times. Um, I've learned like who I am in Christ, my identity. Um, the word of God is a daily, daily, daily thing for me. I don't play with it. Worship is a whole other story. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just made me a much better person, but also understanding my purpose and like not being tied to like titles or the material things of the world. But knowing like my identity is hundred percent secure, even on the days when I fall short, you know. And I think for me, that that is what is the most beautiful thing. And then just being under, understanding that God is a father. Like I said before, that like we basically mostly grew up with my mom growing up, and I think there was always that gap there. And I think I was really able to connect with God as a God as a father because like I kind of had that's a little bit missing in in many ways in my own life and so like you know I always say things like my dad will never my like my I my dad wants the best for me and when I say that I'm referring to God my friends who know me know that <laughs> you know that's what I'm saying but like I'm like who do you know whose child I am like even the confidence that it gives you um yeah so that that is my story of faith, not very like typically Nigerian, but I think when you come to have a relationship with God and you compare it to what maybe you were doing before, maybe just following along with your parents, et cetera there's a difference like my husband is completely different, like he actually fully got saved. When he was seven, he told his mom, "Please, I want to give my life to Christ." And he also grew up in Nigeria. So I'm not saying it's the same experience for everybody, but I do think that like that decision is so important, you know, and which is which is why it's it's a choice. But once you make that choice, it's a leap of faith, you know. It, it may not make sense, but there's so many other things we believe in that don't make sense as well, like air, like we can't even see it, but we know that it's there, or the wind, or whatever. And um, it's it's kind of like that.
0: And then my final question is, um, what role does faith play in terms of how you see womanhood and female friendships?
1: One of my favourite characters in the Bible, apart from Esther, has to be Mary Magdalene. And I love the verse where she was like sitting at Jesus's feet and Martha, who's her sister, is like, will not you come and help me prepare this dinner? And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha you know, you're worried about many things, but Mary is focused on the one thing and it will not be taken from her. And I think, you know, people, that, people, people think like religion, well, I don't really believe in religion, but people think Christianity or whatever is very like, it looks down on women, et cetera. But for me, that story is all the evidence I needed to know that Jesus recognized women. He saw their value. He, he knew that like our role as mothers, as wives, as homemakers was never more important than, than our role as daughters. And so I just love that image. I always imagine myself just sitting at Jesus' feet and if, when life throws things at me, I'm like, no, no, no. I need to just focus on the one thing. I need to just focus on the one thing. And, you know, that one thing is just being a child of God, a daughter of a king. And also I'm encouraged by the fact that, you know, when Jesus resurrected, women were the ones that took, that that actually um, shared that testimony. It's because of their experience that we know that Jesus Jesus rose from the dead. And so like, that is a huge responsibility. And in that time, we, women were not even recognized. So for that to be the way God designed it, for me also demonstrated. demonstrates demonstrates his heart towards women and so like those are the things that I I think about and I read about that really encourage me when it comes to like women because I think a lot of people don't really get it because they read like different parts of the Bible. I always say like you can't just pick out it's like listening to a song and picking like the worst line of the lyric and saying it's a terrible song like you need to understand the whole thing with all of its context and so I don't have any any issues or I'm not I'm not conflicted when it comes to my faith and feminism or my faith and my relationship with women or how God sees women. I know how God sees women because I know how God sees me. And I think that's why the relationship bit is so important. You know, to find out for yourself, search the word and really just understand it. Wow,
0: well, Shil, sure, I cannot thank you enough. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from this, go ahead and share this with them. Also, don't forget to rate and review. It really helps us out. See you next time.